Well, greetings to you all on this Feast of Pentecost, this Feast of First Fruits. And of course, I also bring you greetings from many of your brethren in Asia, in the Australasian area of God's work, who are keeping this day along with the rest of you. Of course, today is one of God's very special high Sabbaths. So what does it mean? What does it mean for you? And why are we all here celebrating and keeping this particular holy day? What does God want us to focus on on this day of Pentecost? Let's have a look at some of the events of the first New Testament Pentecost and the founding of the New Testament church. I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we find here the incredible miracle of what happened when God granted his Holy Spirit to his apostles on this particular day and the events that followed have an incredible bearing on what was to happen in the early church and indeed there are many lessons that we need to learn from what happened on this day as well. Let's have a quick overview here of Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3. These are the events that uh, occurred on this day and of course it was a great amazement to everybody who was there in Jerusalem and those who were there assembled for the feast, many just did not understand. And yet God poured out his spirit on these faithful 120 people who were gathered together keeping this day. Here in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, we can just read a few of the verses here. Now when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And I think we're all familiar with the events that took place after that. The Holy Spirit came down upon them in what appeared to be, as it says, cloven tongues of fire and they began to speak in other languages and all the various uh, people from around the, um, the Roman Empire who had come in to keep this day from the various countries, they began to hear the apostles and the others speak in their own language, the language that they had been taught in the countries where they came from. But following this, Peter gets up, inspired now, after receiving God's Spirit, a different man, a changed man, a man full of confidence. And he was able to preach to these people so powerfully that on this day, 3,000 were converted or baptized or at least repented and came in to the church of God and received the Holy Spirit also. Notice here in, in verse 14, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. I wonder if we remember what the words were that Peter preached on that first Pentecost. It would be great if we could have Peter here to preach that sermon to us, but he's recorded here, God has recorded in the scriptures here, the text, basically, of that sermon that Peter preached. And so we can go through this and have a look at what he intended for us to learn from the sermon that he gave on this very day back in 31 AD. Following these words, he introduces us to a prophecy that he takes from the book of Joel, a prophecy in many respects that doesn't appear to fit with what happened on this day because it talks about something that yet is yet future to happen. And yet Peter says this prophecy from Joel is being fulfilled in front of your very eyes. And then, of course, he goes on in the following verses to show how the man that was crucified by those people that were right there was Jesus Christ himself, but who now has been raised from the dead and sits on the right hand of his Father and has all power and is the one that is controlling things as far as his church is concerned and the giving of the Holy Spirit to those that his Father is calling. Well, let's go down through this chapter. We're very familiar with verse 38 where Peter, the people had come to Peter and said, what must we do? They realized that they had 
killed the Messiah. They had killed the Saviour. And so Peter says that they should repent and be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now I know most of you listening to this have gone through that process of repentance and have been baptised and received God's Holy Spirit. These people, of course, had this happen to them on the very day of Pentecost. And then we find in verse 41, then those who gladly received his word were baptised and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Now they had 3,120 or thereabouts. And it's interesting, the, uh, I believe Josephus records that in Jerusalem at this time there were only about 6,000 Pharisees. So you can imagine the consternation that those men were going through when they saw 3,000, half their number, taking on board the teachings that now Peter was giving. And of course, it was a great concern to them. But as we continue on in the next few days after this event took place, we find the um, people who had now become members of the Church of God were there supporting the apostles and they were excited about what had happened in their life. And in verse 46, And so, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added daily uh, to the church those who were being saved. And so there was great excitement there. And so there's just a, a brief overview of this chapter, but in the following days, following the day of Pentecost, another incredible miracle took place. And we need to have a look at this very carefully because all of this ties in with what this day means for us. Why does Peter use this prophecy from the book of Joel that specifically talks about the day of the Lord and the sixth seal and the wonders, uh, the heavenly signs that are taking place? Why is it in this next chapter, in chapter 3, this man who is miraculously healed in front of the, the temple there in Jerusalem is made a part of all the happenings that are going on in Jerusalem around the Pentecost season? Well, we come to chapter 3, and as we go through this, we'll begin to see the incredible way that God has been working, not just with these people back here, but how God has been working with all of us who understand the truths in the scriptures, who understand what is to come and how Jesus Christ is going to intervene in world affairs and set up the kingdom of God on this earth in the near future. But let's have a look very quickly at chapter 3 here, or at least the beginning verses of chapter 3, and have a look at this incredible healing that took place. I certainly believe that we're going to see healings like this take place in the future. There's no question about that. Scriptures certainly indicate that. But he was one that took place there in, in, in Jerusalem. A man who had been lame from his birth. He was 40 years old by this time. I often think that here he was. He was laid daily at the gate outside of the temple. And uh, as I said, I can't help thinking that at times, Christ probably walked by this man, maybe waved to him, perhaps gave him. He, this man was asking for uh, a, a, uh, some arms, asking for some aid and help. Maybe the disciples even gave him some at one time or another, previously during the times that they would have gone into the temple. And yet, Christ didn't heal this man at that time. Maybe waved to him, said hello to him and acknowledged him in one way or another, but we find here that when Peter and John, as it says here in verse 1, went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour, a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. Now we've got to get the background to this or at least visualize the, the scene that we're having described here. Here was a man 
who was not allowed to go into the temple. He had never been in there. You know, the, the, the regulation was, the law was that if you were a woman, if you were maimed, if you were unclean, you could not enter into the temple. You had to stay outside. You weren't allowed to proceed any further. And this man was placed there every day asking the people who came and were allowed to go in uh, for some help. And then in verse 3, we see it says, And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for arms. And fixing his eyes on him with uh, Peter, uh, John with Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Incredible confidence Peter had to be able to do that and say that. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And so he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Now this was an incredible event in this man's life. I want you to really understand what was happening here. And uh, when, we, when we begin to comprehend the uh, incredible enthusiasm, excitement that this man had, uh, was, uh, not only was he being healed or had been healed, but the, for the first time he was able to present himself before God is the way he would have looked at it. And so we find that um, this individual has a lot in common when we understand the spiritual implications of this has a lot in common with all of us. We need to understand this because this attitude that this man had, we might read it and think, oh, that's great, he was healed, he was able to go into the temple. But this is the attitude, brethren, on the day of Pentecost and the events that surrounding this day and the giving of the Holy Spirit to us is the attitude that we all need to have as we come before God. When we pray to Him, when we get down on our knees, when we come before His throne, I hope we realize the incredible healing that has taken place in our lives that enable us to be able to come before the great God. Previously, we may have thought we were in harmony with God, but until God called us and opened our minds, we were just like this lame man that we've been reading about here who really was not allowed to present himself in the temple and go before God. He's talking about us here and the healing that God has performed in your life as a result of enabling the Holy Spirit to be given on this day of Pentecost back in 31 AD. Turn with me to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 59. Here in Isaiah we find uh, the uh, um, comments that, or the prophecies that Isaiah is giving and I'm sure many of you are familiar with what this says here. But this is talking about us before God called us, before he opened our mind, before he gave us his Holy Spirit. We were like this. Notice in Isaiah chapter 59 and beginning in verse 1. Isaiah says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Yes, brethren, we were spiritually lame, spiritually deformed, spiritually contaminated by this world, our sin. You know, sometimes I meet people and they feel and believe that, you know, they've known the Lord all their life. And yet, when we come to really understand it, and I think of my own life and the, let's say, the religious background that I had, I thought it was pretty good. I would go off to church every Sunday. We kept the Saturnalia on December 25th and the, the uh, 
uh, the worship of Ishtar around the Easter time, and we thought we were worshipping God, the true God. And yet, nothing could be further from the truth. We were worshipping Satan and his system and his way of life and his deceptions. We were totally deceived. And I go think back on those things, and they were areas in my life, and I'm sure areas in most of all of you in your lives, where we had to think about the changes that had to take place. You see, we were cut off from God. It was those iniquities. Yes, we might have done it in all sincerity, but can we worship Satan and his pagan days and expect to receive God's blessing and for God to hear us and to hear our prayers when we're off carrying out some pagan practices that have been handed down from generation to generation. I wasn't keeping the Sabbath. Most of you weren't. We didn't understand about these holy days that God has instructed and given us to to keep. I believed in the heretical Trinity doctrine. And yet I thought, well, as I went along to church on a Sunday with my parents, everything was just great. But it wasn't. Because God says here, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. We were just a part of this world, deceived, thinking we were doing the right thing, and yet we were cut off from God. Just like that lame man outside the temple who was not allowed to enter. And so continuing on in verse 2, he says, And your sins have hidden his face from you. Now, God may be aware of what we're doing, but we don't have that closeness and that relationship and that contact with God that he desires us to have. We just did not have his Holy Spirit that he gave to his church on this day. And so your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And then in verse 3 he says, For your hands are defiled with blood. Maybe not physically, but maybe mentally, emotionally, spiritually perhaps, just like those people on the, at the crucifixion or when Christ was arrested and put to death, they didn't actually kill him themselves, but they were there cheering on to release Barabbas and, and crucify Jesus. And uh, we uh, perhaps have had feelings of, of animosity or hatred even towards other groups, other religions, other belief systems and wish they didn't exist. We see that in the world today, the attitude of various religious organizations and, and uh, um, uh, religious um, um, belief systems where they get very volatile and want to exterminate uh, somebody who doesn't agree with them or believe with them. And we cannot have that. And we've come to understand those things after God has called us that the world is deceived. And one day God is going to open their minds to the truth. But he says, For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue has muttered perversity. And so we need to realize, brethren, that when we see these verses here and read these verses in the Scriptures, what Isaiah is telling us, that we were cut off from God because of the influence that this world has had on us, the deception that is out there, that we had taken of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it was that tree, when Adam and Eve took that, that cut them off from God. They were put out of Eden. They were outside and the cherubim were put at the entrance and Adam and Eve and the, and the rest of their family were not allowed to enter. They were cut off from their creator. And in the same way, that has happened with us. But we need to understand about the healing that took place, the incredible miracle that has taken place that has enabled us not to be separated from God, but to be able to come into his presence. You see over there, the, in, in Acts chapter 3 again, just reading the, uh, the verse here in verse 8, Acts 3, and so he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. You know, that was like perhaps our, our first love, 
the enthusiasm we had when we began to have our mind open to so many of the truths that are in God's word here, truths we hadn't understood before. Are we able to keep that enthusiasm going? I hope so. We need to rekindle that first love and be excited about God's work and be excited about the healing that has taken place and always be grateful and thankful for that, that healing. Sometimes we get, let these things slip. We get tied up with the, the cares of this world, the activities and events that are taking place around us and, and just uh, as Christ said, with the cares of life. And we tend to get our mind off the healing that has happened in our own life and we take it for granted at times. Notice over here in Hebrews chapter 12, we'll have a look at not only this healing, we're going to come back to the prophecy of Joel that uh, Peter uh, spoke about as well. But here in Hebrews chapter 12, here the Apostle Paul makes reference to spiritual lameness and how it can cut us off from God. And as we read the context of this uh, uh, chapter, we begin to see how it also ties in with the Feast of Pentecost and the giving of God's law on this day. But let's start here in, in verse, uh, verse 11. Remember, in uh, chapter 12, Paul talks about correction that we receive as God's children, the training that God wants to give us, the redirection that has to take place in our life because we have been going the wrong way and we have to be straightened out and, and uh, put on the right track. And that correction at times can cause a little bit of discouragement. And yet at the same time, God tells us if God doesn't love us, then he's not going to correct us. But he does love us and he does correct us. And we need to take that and appreciate it for the, the, the great concern that God has in training us up as his children. And so he says in verse 11, But no chastening seems to be joyous for the present, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You know, when a little child is corrected and it begins to get in harmony and its thinking patterns are in harmony with its parents, then we have peace between parent and child. And that's what God wants with us. He wants to have that peace as he corrects us and our thinking comes in line with him. As the scripture tells us, you know, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. We may have time to read that a little bit later. But once that happens, then we're compatible. We're not walking uh, in, in two different directions. Here in verse 12, Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. You know, when that happens and you get weak, and your knees begin to wobble or they don't support you as strongly, you're like that lame man that was outside the temple. And Paul is pointing out here, if those hands of ours hang down and our knees are not strengthened, then we also will eventually be cut off from contact with God. And so he gives us a warning here. He gives us encouragement here. He tells us in verse 13, And so make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be turned away, but rather be healed. Turned away is a, a more proper translation when you read the context, because it goes on to talk about Esau, who lost his birthright. And it, he was turned away from the blessing that could have been his. But as we go on in verse 14, he tells us, Pursue peace with all men and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. See, those hands that hang down, those feeble knees, the lameness that Paul is talking about, he said, if that remains, if that spiritual condition remains in our life and we don't do something about it, he said, we will not see the Lord. And it's a very serious matter. And unfortunately, there have been many who have gotten themselves into an attitude of spiritual deformity or uh, a, a spiritual maiming to the point that they have been turned away 
maybe turn themselves away. But um, we just certainly hope that there is room in their hearts and minds eventually for repentance. So he says in verse 15, looking diligently, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. And we certainly don't want that happening. We don't want that root of bitterness to be in any of our lives, and yet it has happened in some, as it goes on to say, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. And the giving of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, the giving of the Holy Spirit to us when we were baptized was that begettal that takes place from God himself. And he gives us then that right. We now have been granted the promise of eternal life. Our spirit has been united with God's spirit and we have the right to be born or the birthright, the right to be born into God's kingdom as we continue on. And God is going to, through his spirit, heal us and transform us and remove the lameness, remove the weary hands that hang down and the feeble knees. He's going to strengthen them through his spirit. And yet, if we get ourselves, if we don't do anything about it, and God tells us how we are to strengthen ourselves uh, with God's help, and then we're certainly not going to be turned out of the way as it indicates here. And you notice in verse 18, he says, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched um, and that burned with fire, and to the blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. He's going back talking about when the Israelites were down near Mount Sinai, And on this particular day when the law was given, we understand on the day of Pentecost or the Feast of Firstfruits, right back there when Israel came out of Egypt, how they also had to be healed of their pagan customs that they had learnt under the Egyptian bondage. There had to be, and so God was giving them his law so that they could change and that they could be his people and walk with him. And we find here in verse 22, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn. And brethren, this day is the day of Pentecost, the day of firstfruits. And here he talks about the church of the firstborn. Those who are going to be the first fruits of God's kingdom when Christ returns who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. And so we even see here a reference to the Pentecost uh, uh, scene that goes back to Sinai, that goes back to the day of Pentecost in 31 AD, and the lameness and the, the, uh, uh, the weariness and, the, and how our hands and knees need to be strengthened, just like that man that we've been reading about in Acts chapter 3. Well, it goes a little bit more beyond that. And this is very important that we realize the incredible miracle that has taken place in our life of how God is in the process of completely healing us. And that without that healing, without the changes that are made in our life, without being healed of the influence of this world's ways, that cripple us spiritually, then we cannot come before God. And we've got to think about how we can be overcomers with God's help. What there is that needs to be overcome. We need to be aware of how Satan would like to keep us not walking with God. I want to take you back here to Leviticus chapter 21. The book of Leviticus chapter 21. This has a lot to do with God's priests in the Old Testament times. And yet when we think about the analogies that are here, much of it applies to us. We are going to be kings and priests in God's family, in the kingdom of God. And we see the instructions that God gives to his physical priesthood. We've seen how there are spiritual parallels that are very important for us to understand. And here God was very 
specific about who it was that could serve him. And we read about in verse uh, chapter 21 and verse 16, those that were prohibited from serving in the priesthood, those who were prohibited from coming before God and serving him and waiting on him and helping him. It says in verse 16, Leviticus 21, And so the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron, saying, No man of your descendants in succeeding generations who has any defect may approach to offer the bread of his God. For any man who has a defect shall not approach. A man blind or lame, who has a marred face or any limb too long, a man who has a broken foot or a broken hand, or is a hunchback or a dwarf, or a man who has a defect in his eye, or eczema, or a scab, or is a eunuch. No man of the descendants of Aaron, the priest, who has a defect, shall come near to offer the offering made by fire to the Eternal. He has a defect, he shall not come to offer the bread of his God. These men were not allowed to come and serve God. And in the same way, brethren, when we understand it, if we have spiritual defects, if we want to hang on to what this world has to offer, if we want to hang on to some of our customs and traditions and our wrong habits and we're not endeavouring to overcome and change and be like Jesus Christ and we think we're going to take these things into God's kingdom, we're mistaken. God is not going to have that. He wants us to be completely healed and we have to allow ourselves to be, let's say, admitted into his hospital, if we can use that analogy. Christ said it's those who are sick are the ones who need a physician and we have to realize just how sick we have been spiritually and we need to uh, uh, allow ourselves to come into Christ's presence and allow him to give us, let's say, the, the spiritual medicine that is necessary for our healing because he said if we don't, he may not eat the bread of his God, both the most holy and from the, uh, the both the most holy and the holy, both parts of the temple or the tabernacle. Only he, verse 23, shall not go near the veil or approach the altar because he has a defect, lest he profane my sanctuaries, for I, the Eternal, sanctify them. It says there in verse 22, he may eat the bread of his God. Perhaps some of the, you know, when you think about that man sitting outside of the gate, he was given food, he was probably given some uh, coins which enabled him, those who could worship were able to give him some sustenance, but he himself couldn't go in and serve God and come into God's presence, just like these Levites could not. And certainly those who are going to serve God in his kingdom, God is not going to allow any of us unless we are really asking and beseeching God to heal us of the world's ways, aren't we told so often, come out of her, my people, be not partakers with her sins and receive not of her plagues and so forth. Do not uh, be a part of this world and this society. And so we need to ask ourselves, how desirous, with God's help and his spirit, are we endeavouring to make those changes in our life? The apostles were imbued with the Holy Spirit. They became different men. There was with God's Spirit, it says nothing is impossible. And so, brethren, we can overcome and we can allow Christ to heal us of the wrong habits and attitudes that maybe many of you were dealing with and grappling with and maybe had there for years. It's not impossible. We just need to learn how to put God's Spirit to, to work in our lives. We may have time to talk a little bit more of that, about that in a, in a moment. But there's also something else we need to understand about spiritual lameness or spiritual um, discouragement when those hands hang down or the knees are feeble. Once again, in the book of, or in the Old Testament here, in the uh, uh, book of Deuteronomy, uh, God records for us another example of some individuals and remember what happened to Israel remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that what happened to Israel he said these things happened to them for our example upon whom the end of the age has come 
And so we see here in Deuteronomy chapter 25, Deuteronomy chapter 25, when um, not too long before Israel was to enter into the promised land and Moses is reiterating the law here in the book of Deuteronomy and he tells us in verse 17 of Deuteronomy 25, he says, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt. As we were coming out of this world, we could perhaps say. And these things happen even now. These are parallels for us. Israel left Egypt and journeyed down to Mount Sinai and events happened right after they came out of the Red Sea, right after their baptism. They had trials and tests. It happens to us many times. With Israel, it was Amalek, one of the sons or grandsons of of Esau. And he goes on to say here in verse 18, how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks. All the stragglers at your rear when you were tired and weary and he did not fear God. You know, that's what happens. You know, when our, what Paul was talking about over there in, in, in Hebrews chapter 12, the weary arms that hang down and the, and the tired knees. Sometimes we can't keep up. Sometimes we're discouraged. Sometimes we, we just let down on our prayer or we're not studying God's word as we should. We're not involved with God's work as we should. Well, these people were the stragglers. They got left behind, all right? They were on the edge. And what happened? It was Amalek that picked them off. Now, the Amalek today, that wants to pick us off, of course, is Satan, our adversary. He doesn't want us to have God's spirit. He doesn't want us to be right up there with God's work and right there in the center of it. As we go on to just read the, finish reading this section here in verse 19, Therefore it shall be, when the Lord your God has given you rest from your enemies all around, uh, all around in the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess as an inheritance, that you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. Don't forget this lesson, that he attacked those who were the stragglers, the weary, the ones whose knees weren't working properly and whose hands were hanging down, the ones who were discouraged. And uh, I'm sure you remember what Peter reminds us of. Peter, who was the one instrumental in saying to this man, silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he reminds us over here in 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. He tells us, be sober, be vigilant, or watchful. You know, we're told to watch and pray. And we do need to be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We've got to resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. And so I, I'm sure most of us have seen documentaries on lions attacking the Impala in, in, in Africa, or some of the other uh, uh, deer-like animals. And it always is the ones that are the stragglers, the weak ones, that they get first. The strong ones get away. But the ones on the edges, on the fringes. And all I'm saying here, brethren, is that we need to be like that man in Acts chapter 3. We'll go back there and have a look at him in a, uh, some of the events that took place after his healing. He wasn't a man that stayed on the fringes. He was a man that got involved in God's work. And we'll see that shortly. And we don't want to be like the, 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 the animals, the deer that are on the fringes of the, the herd, the ones that the lions pick off, because they're the ones that Satan will pick off when we use this analogy and apply it to God's church. If we're discouraged we got our hands hanging down. If we're straggling, uh, one of the stragglers, then that's what Peter, Paul, uh, Peter tells us here, that we've got to be watchful because Satan goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Any of you who may have 
kept bees. I've had a couple of beehives over a period of time. You know, in the, in the, in the winter time, when they're not producing, the, the, and it's cold, the, the swarm gets together. And the ones in the centre are the ones that survive, the ones that get closest to the queen. It's the ones on the outside. You start to see that they become frozen or they're cold or stiff and then they drop off. They're the ones that end up dying. And uh, I think there's a great lesson in nature when we look at these things. That God doesn't want us to be out there on the fringes. He doesn't want us to be part of the stragglers. He wants, to be, wants us to be involved. And like I said before, you know, if we're not praying, we're not studying, we're not keeping close to God, we're not keeping up, reading what the work is doing, reading the magazine, the Tomorrow's World, maybe seeing the telecast, also uh, reading the Living Church News, reading Mr. Meredith's co-worker letters. We're not doing those things. We're like the bees on the edge who are going to get frozen or, 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 or die first. Or we're like the weak animal that's going to be picked off by the lion and destroyed and eaten. And we don't want that to happen to God's people. We don't want that to happen to us. And so, brethren, we need to have our hearts in doing God's work. We need to be supportive of the work and the calling that God has given to us. Let's go back to Acts 3. I just want to take you through the, uh, the um, uh, attitude that this man had, this uh, uh, lame man outside the, the temple after the healing took place. He says, uh, we just read it again in Acts 3 and verse 8 to remind us off of the excitement that this individual had. And so he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them walking and leaping and praising God. We should keep that in our minds every day as we go down on our knees. Thank God for the healing that he is performing in our life and has performed. Can we go to him and just thank him with this attitude? Not a woe is me attitude, but an exciting attitude that God has, has chosen us to be healed. There were many beggars I know outside the temple and yet this one man was chosen. And when you look at the world and think about the analogy that is here, the whole world is crippled. The whole world is morally bankrupt. And what happened to this man? There was nothing he could do to repay that healing. And really there's nothing we can do except come before God expressing our gratitude of walking and leaping and praising God for what he's done in our life. But this lame man who was healed, it says in verse 11, now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, I'm going to hang on to these guys, I'm going to hang on to these apostles, there's, there's, a, there's a power here that I need to be a part of. And today it's God's work who is taking this message to the world Perhaps there are others, but as Mr. Meredith said, we're the spear point out there. And there's not too many others who have the conviction and the courage to really go out and tell the world the good news that God is coming, that Jesus Christ is coming to save this world and God's kingdom is going to rule and the world is going to have peace and happiness and joy in tomorrow's world. That's what our program is all about and we need to be a part of that just like this man held on to Peter and John and all the people ran together to them in the porch which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. Well, we come down a little bit further here into chapter 4, uh, chapter 4 of Acts. This continues on because remember Peter and John continued preaching and they were instructed that you can't do this we don't want to hear this name preached around here. It says in verse 1 now, as the verse 1 of chapter 4, as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Now, I want you to notice here that these men were arrested. Mr. Meredith at times has made comment about, you know, what if he was taken uh, by the authorities and put on trial? You know, where would we stand? What would 
our attitude would be? What about persecution that may come upon us or people who want to attack the work that we are doing? You know, do we want to say, oh, well, I really don't do it. Are we like the apostles in, 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 in when Christ was arrested? No, I don't know that man and, and deny where we are or who we belong to or what our goals and missions are and the, 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 uh, the, the work we're a part of. Well, these men were arrested. They were taken into custody, it says. And verse 5, And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, uh, Caiaphas, uh, John and Alexander, and many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And so they began interrogating them. When they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Now, we won't read the rest of the, or a lot of the verses here, but what I want to point out is what happens down here in verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. You notice this man, even though Peter and John had been arrested, being interrogated, this man who had been healed and was now able to stand, now knew where he stood. And we know where this man stood. He stood right there by the apostles. He knew the power that had healed him was not from them, but from the God who was back of them. And in the same way, brethren, we need to realize that this work is not our work. It's the work of Jesus Christ. And we need to be right there with God's work. doesn't matter what happens, what persecutions might come, what people may say about us. We need to be like this man who says, I don't care whether they're arrested or not. I don't care whether they're being persecuted. I'm going to stand right there with them. And he had that confidence and we certainly can have that confidence as God gives us his Holy Spirit and we overcome the lameness and the spiritual crippling that Satan has put upon us in times gone by. We may have time to come back to this, but I want to take you over to the book of Joel now. Well, let's go to, before we go there, we're in Acts chapter 2 where Peter gives this prophecy. Let's read it quickly here in Acts 2 and verse 16 and see how all this ties in even with the man who was, who was crippled and lame and the healing that took place. But in verse 17, or verse 16, Peter says, but this, what happened on the day of Pentecost, the giving of the gift of speaking in other languages, the gift of tongues, as it's uh, often called, he says, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. You know, what you saw happen, the coming of the Holy Spirit on all of us and we being able to go out and preach to everybody as they had done and it indicates there everyone heard them as it says there um, uh, down in, uh, in verse 6 and when this occurred the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language and down a little bit further it tells them in verse 11 said so the, the Cretans and the uh, Arabs we hear them speaking in our own tongue the wonderful works of God. So they'd already started telling them about the truth and what God was now doing. But Peter in verse 16 says, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass, verse 17, in the last days. Now, did the apostles live in the last days? Well, we believe we live in the last days. And yet, when we read the prophecy in the book of Joel, it's no question. It's talking about the last days. It's talking about the day of the Lord. It starts out in Joel chapter 2 and verse 1. We'll have a look at that in a minute. So why does Peter take a prophecy out of the Old Testament, the book of Joel, and apply this to what happened on the day of Pentecost in 31 AD? Why does he say it shall come to pass in the last days? God says that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. 
Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants, and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. Well, interesting statement when you put it in the context of some of the other scriptures that we know about it. For example, in, first, uh, uh, in, in Hebrews chapter 1, uh, remember what the, the Apostle Paul uh, says about dreams and visions and the prophets of past. He says, God, who at various times and in different ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets and has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he shall appoint heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. He indicates there, yes, in the past, they spoke, God spoke to the prophets through visions and dreams and, and uh, various other ways, maybe through a donkey. Um, but in these last days, the word has come to us through Jesus Christ, not through the different ways that were done in the past. And yet here in Joel, it says, I'll pour out my spirit. This is reading in, in, in Acts 2 and verse uh, uh, 17. I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Well, we've got to ask ourselves, was that ever done on the day of Pentecost? Was God's spirit poured out on all flesh? Your sons and your daughters? Now he's making a distinction here. It's not just the, it's, it, 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 it's not just the old, but also the, the young have the opportunity to have God's spirit. Both the men and the women have the opportunity to come before God. Back here, as I said earlier, The women, they had the outer court, the women's court, but they weren't allowed to go into the temple proper. Only the men. And, of course, those who were maimed or lame or who were considered unclean, they could not enter in either. And so people were excluded. But here God is showing that no one is going to be excluded from having access to God if God calls them. Your sons, your daughters, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. And yet, Visions and dreams were something of the past. Why are they mentioned here? I will pour out my spirit, in, in, in verse 18, he says, in those days, and they shall prophesy. Then he goes on to talk about, I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. How does this all tie in with the last days? And how does this all tie in with the giving of God's spirit on the day of Pentecost? How does this tie in with what God wants us to understand from this and some of the things we've already talked about. Well, let's go to the book of Joel. The book of Joel, prophecies that were given that Peter says apply to what was done on the day of Pentecost. He says this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Well, let's have a look at the prophet Joel and see what God wants us to learn about what Joel says, about this day of Pentecost, about the first fruits that God has called us to be and the giving of the Holy Spirit, not just to us, but ultimately to all of mankind, all humanity. In chapter 2 of Joel, we find here the prophecy, which there's no question that it's talking about the days just ahead of us now. There's no question about the timing. It certainly is not, in one sense, is not talking about what happened in the first century because he says in verse 1, Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. It's a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness like the morning clouds spread, spread over the mountains. A people come, great and strong, the like of whom has never been, nor will there ever be uh, any such after them for many successive generations. We have this song in our hymnal, and we sing that often on the holy days, perhaps uh, Feast of Trumpets or the Feast of Tabernacles. But he hears here talking about certainly end time destruction and disaster that is going to come on God's people, the the, the descendants of Abram, Isaac and Jacob, the Anglo-Saxon peoples of this world. 
And he makes a statement down here in verse 11. The Lord gives voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for strong is the one who executes his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? That's what it says in Revelation chapter 6. Who can abide the day of his coming? That's what Christ says in Luke 21. Watch and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape these things and to stand before the Son of Man. The same prophecy is given in, 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 in Malachi chapter 3 about how terrible this day is. And very few people are going to be able to stand. They're going to become spiritual cripples. They're not going to be able to stand. They're not going to be able to endure. It's just going to be just so horrible. And as we come down here in this chapter, we find a, almost a, 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 a parallel theme to what we read in, in, the, in the book of Acts, where Peter tells them that because of their sins and their attitudes, they're the ones that kill Christ and that they have to repent of their sins and be baptized and receive God's Holy Spirit and receive the blessings that God wants to give. Well, basically, this is what we're reading here in uh, Joel chapter 2. Notice the, the um, uh, statements that are made here in verse, uh, verse 17. It says, Now let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, Spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach, that the nations should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? Israel, the descendants of ancient Israel now, the peoples of Israel are in captivity. And we find here that those who are intervening and endeavoring now, realizing what has happened to them, appealing to the people who come to repentance, and there is a weeping, as it says here, between the porch and the altar, They're appealing to God now to forgive them and that they've learned the lessons and now want God to be their God. That's what the word Joel means. Well, partly it means the Lord is God. And this is what the people are coming to the place to realize, yes, they have been worshipping the wrong Lord. Their Lord has not been the eternal And now that's who they're turning to. Then the Lord will be zealous for the land and pity his people in verse 18. We find a forgiveness that is taking place. And then we find the blessings that come as a result of that in verse 23. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. You know, just like the man who was healed. He was stood and leaped and went into the temple praising God. And now here are these people they're, as it says there, they're, they're glad, they're rejoicing before the Lord your God. And he has given you the former rain, faithful, and he will cause the rain to come down on you. This is the verse, end of verse 23. The former rain and the latter rain in the first month. And the threshing floor shall be full of wheat. You see, God is restoring the, the blessings to them and the vats shall overflow. We're talking about now a millennial situation. The day of the Lord has passed. There's repentance that's taken place. God has forgiven them and now he's giving them these blessings. He says in verse 25, So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust and so forth. In verse 26, And you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God. Just like that man who now was able to come before God's presence. Previously, their sins had cut them off. That man was not able to enter into the temple because of his lameness. Israel was not able to praise God, but now they are. And praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be put to shame. And then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. Just like God now for us, by giving us his Holy Spirit, by putting us into the body of Christ, we know that he is in the midst of spiritual Israel. And notice in verse 28, this is the prophecy that Peter preached about on the day of Pentecost. And it shall come to pass afterwards. Afterwards what? What? After what? Perhaps 
We can read it two ways here. It's going to come to pass after the day of the Lord, referring back to verse 1. Maybe we could read it as referring to Israel who has come back from captivity and has been restored and they have those blessings. And after God deals with Israel and puts them back on their feet, so to speak, afterwards he says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. God deals with Israel first. He deals with us first, the first fruits. And he's going to deal with Israel. Then he's going to deal with the rest of humanity where he says, I, it will come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. God in his mercy has poured out his spirit on us, brethren. We read the history of that in the day of Pentecost, the giving of his spirit to enable us to keep his law, not in the letter, but in the spirit through that help that he gives us and through Jesus Christ living his life in us. And here we find finally the fulfillment. It started at Pentecost 31 AD, but now we see the fulfillment of the whole world being able to, in one sense, celebrate the Feast of Pentecost in receiving the Holy Spirit. God is going to pour his Spirit on all flesh, Israel first after he returns, and then on the rest of humanity as they are taught and instructed in his ways, in God's ways, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. You know, the prophets, Joel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, these men did see dream, uh, visions, did have dreams. And they recorded them right here. And brethren, all of us, now God doesn't give us dreams and visions during our sleep and maybe as we're walking down the street or wherever we might be, but he has recorded them here for us. And I hope all of us, through the gift of the Holy Spirit that God has given us, the healing spirit that he has extended and enabled us, that we can have an insight into the visions and the dreams that these men of the past have had, that we can see into the future of what God is about to do, that we can visualize the events that are going to take place and how Jesus Christ is going to intervene and bring his law to this whole world and his spirit is going to be poured out on all mankind. There is going to be that peace and harmony. Satan's way, Egypt and Babylon are going to be completely destroyed. It's not going to be a part of this society anymore. God's way of life is going to be supreme. And he goes on to say here in verse 29, and also on my men servants and maid servants, Peter quoted this, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And then in verse 30, he goes back to the beginning of the chapter. And um, it's just the way the, the scriptures are written. And he says, but before that, before he pours out his spirit on all flesh, after Christ returns, he says, before that, I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood, fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon and the blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So we have the sixth seal, which are the heavenly signs. Then we have the day of the Lord coming where God begins to intervene in the affairs of this world, puts down all authority and rebellion who resist him. And then he takes over control of the kingdoms of this world, become the kingdoms of our Lord and Christ. And so it shall come to pass that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. Brethren, it's a tremendous story when we understand that this prophecy in Joel only started on the day of Pentecost. It's going to continue and eventually God who has given you his Holy Spirit, has begotten you as one of his very own children, is also going to pour out his Spirit on all flesh to give them the opportunity to be in his family as well. So, when we think about these things, let's know where we stand, brethren. Let's realise that we have been healed of the spiritual lameness. Let's realise that 
we now have the opportunity to come into God's very presence, to talk with him, to tell him our, con- our concerns, let him know our needs, but also to pray for his work, to be involved in the calling that God has given us. That's the reason God called us now, to be a part of this work, to get the message to the world in this end time. And of course, ultimately to be those kings and priests who can serve God without lameness, without blemish, but be able to come before his presence and be a part of his divine family for all eternity. Let's thank God for the incredible blessings that he has given to us. Let's thank him for the healing that has taken place. Let's go before him, as it says over here in the book of Acts, and just reading very quickly here in uh, Acts chapter 3, the statement that is made here concerning this man who had been lamed and healed. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Brethren, let's do that, not just on this day of Pentecost, but let's do it right throughout the whole year and get our hearts in God's work, be a part of that, not to be out there on the fringes, not to let our knees be weak and our hands hang down. Let's be strong in God's ways and let's really put our hearts into God's work and put the power of God's Holy Spirit that he's given to us to work in our lives so that we can go forward and get this message to the world and let the world know the good news of how Jesus Christ is going to come and give them eventually his Holy Spirit as well.